we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share, and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. And this episode, we have Robert Jackson with a focus on strategies, mindsets, and beliefs that support male minority students in school, specifically what educators need to know. Robert Jackson began his teaching career almost 25 years ago in Indianapolis public schools with a no more excuses teaching approach with all of his students after being cut from the NFL Minnesota Vikings. As an educator, he didn't allow his students to feel sorry for themselves or let their circumstances define their futures. He set high expectations for his students and expected them to do well. As a coach, the same rules applied. Those same students went on from low performing to successful pastors, lawyers, school administrators, teachers, pharmaceutical sales reps, business owners, professional athletes, entertainers, and much more. He has become one of the most sought after speakers in the country, delivering keynote addresses and workshops to educators and administrators at national conferences, parents and student workshops, corporate events, churches, and other events. Mr. Jackson has written and published six books. His new book, Becoming the Educator They Need, Strategies, Mindsets, and Beliefs for Supporting Male, Black, and Latino Students, the one we're going to talk about today, just won the Gold Excel Award for Technical Writing in July of 2020. His No More Excuses curriculum has been featured in publications nationally as being, and is being used in K-12 schools, colleges, and universities in the U.S. and Canada. His books include Black Men Stand Up, A Boy's Guide to Manhood, A Young Woman's Guide to Womanhood, Put a Stop to Bullying, and Solutions to Educating Black and Latino Males. He's married to Essence best-selling author Tawana T.J. Butler-Jackson, and they have three children and one grandson. His motto, and I love this, for every problem, there's a solution. We hope you enjoy this episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and follow. You can always get more by following the schoolhouse302.com. Go to the site, click on follow. All right, Robert, thank you for joining us today on Focus Ed. We appreciate your time. DJ, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. So we're going to jump right in for both our studio audience here and our listeners at home. You wrote a book called Becoming the Educator They Need. Let's start with the book and then get into some of your experiences in schools. Please tell us why you wrote this book and what you might want educators to take from the message. Um, I wrote this book because I felt like it was needed. Um, I started my career, as you said, in education 25 years ago. Uh, you forgot to tell your audience the NFL stands for not for long. So um, I thought I was going to have a prominent career uh, playing in the National Football League for 10 years. I ended up playing for 10 minutes, um, signed with the Raiders, and um, and uh, fell in love with the beach and all the amenities on the beach more than I did um, football at the time. Some of you catch that on your way home. I said the beach. Um, so I ended up getting cut by the Raiders. I think Tamara caught that. And then um, – I ended up signing with the Minnesota Vikings. And just like Delaware, it was cold out there. Um, but I was focused on football again. And um, I got hurt during training camp, fractured my kneecap, found myself limping into a classroom in 1995. And I didn't like what I see. I didn't like the way I was treated as a student. I didn't like the way educators were interacting with students. So I decided to get into the business of doing professional development. I started many years ago. Never planned on writing this book, 
um, ASCD, which is very well respected um, in the education uh, field, had come after me a couple of times about writing this book. I did write an article for ASCD L Magazine, the leadership magazine, and the article blew up. It went really well. Then they approached me again about writing the book, and and that's, that's and that's when I decided to write it, and it's doing been doing well. But I think it's very much I think it's I think it's very much needed out here in the uh, especially with these trying times and what we're dealing with today. I feel like it's much needed. Yeah, I think the the book is incredibly timely uh, and long overdue. You know, it's it's interesting how we have really focused on a lot of these problems for a very long time. I'm just not sure we're satisfied with where we are. And I would say that's a good thing as a, as a longtime educator, it's time for us to, to start embracing work like this and look at specific strategies. If you would in mind, Robert, you mentioned um, some very key factors, um, invisibilization, marginalization, pre-criminalization, stereotype threat, and colorism as these five you know, real common problems were associated with. Um, would you mind digging a little deeper into one of them? The one that I'm fascinated with is the invisibilization, which really it's just, you don't even see me. And would you mind digging into that a little bit and how can we correct that? We have a lot of uh, leaders on this call and educators. How do we get past those factors, but specifically that one? Well, first of all, you have to deal with your own biases. Um, I was talking from the experience of being a student. Um, my best friend was murdered when I was 16 years old, when I was in high school. And when he was murdered, um, he was labeled, all these labels, calling him a thug and, and all these different things. And he never been in trouble. He made straight A's. He was on the honor roll. He played on the basketball team. But the news media kind of spent it into something that it wasn't. We were planning on being roommates in college. And I felt like I didn't even know what invisibilization meant at the time, but I felt like they were treating, and I'm going to say his name, Tony Binion. And I, believe, I felt like they were treating my friend like he was invisible, like he didn't matter. And um, later, I, I had some of the same experiences um, in education, in life, and, um, you know, I was treated as invisible. Invisibilization is the act of seeing a situation or circumstance as invisible, not important, without breath or death. So if it's not happening in your world, it's of no interest to you. I watched the uh, Philando Castile, the, si the situation with the teacher in uh, Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Many of you heard about that. He was in the, in the passenger seat with his fiance driving, and he goes from riding in the passenger seat to getting into a body bag and going to the morgue. And he was a school teacher. And I remember how social media had a time with that, calling him names and he got what he deserved. He was an educator. He was one of us. And um, I believe if it's not happening in some, some individual's worlds, it's of no interest to them. But if you mistreat an animal, um, you can be on the five o'clock news and you can do two and a half years in prison like Michael Vick. I believe that um, there are, uh, <laughs> I don't have any problems with that. My, my kids love animals and I love animals and I don't believe you should mistreat animals or human beings, but we got to stop treating situations like it's invisible. You know, racism, discrimination, cultural barriers, they exist. Did I say a cuss word? Because sometimes when you say racism, it sounds like a cuss word to some people. Well, you know, whether you're this way at home or out in public, it needs to be addressed. And until we start having conversations like this with each other to kind of open up the dialogue, it's going to continue to take place. I mean, you've seen the election, you've seen some of the things that's been happening around here and our kids see these things, but we have to stop treating situations as invisible. How many of you have children? Raise your hand if you have kids. So that's everybody on here. And I have three kids. I have a son, two daughters and a grandson. I had to have the conversation with my son before when he turned 16, when he started driving, hey, if you get pulled over, you need to do this, this. I'm going through all this, this list that when you leave the house, do this or don't do this, you know, because um, certain places he go, he won't be treated like a human being. Some people look at him like they see certain things on the news. So I wanted to make sure that I address the terminology so everyone knows what invisibilization is, pre-criminalization, treating 
uh, somebody criminal prior to any background of criminal behavior or racial microaggressions or colorism and all the other terms that I wanted to, to uh, define to make sure that um, educators understand what they are because sometimes we're doing these things without even knowing that we're doing it. It's such an incredible point. It's also an incredible point that you've named that, right? So you, you name it, you define it up front. We start to use similar vocabulary. And what we've been doing in Delaware is also talking about what, what has been written in the leadership standards around confronting and altering, right? That's yeah. what effective leaders do with institutional bias. They confront and alter. What I'm interested in is you talk about supporting male, black, and Latino students. It's right in the, um, right in the subtitle of the book. Along with that is Mindsets. Can you talk to us a little bit about mindsets? Because I think that's, you know, as you say, deal with your own biases. I think there's a shift in our mindset that has to happen in schools. Do you mind digging into that for us? Well, you know, like you said, I'm a national and international speaker. And now I do it full time because I'm sought after so much. So I was speaking about five years ago in Las Vegas in Clark County School District, which is one of the biggest school districts in the country. And I was speaking to all school leaders. And I just said, leadership doesn't require a title, but everybody with a title is not a leader. And I said, if you call yourself a leader and you don't expect to be talked about, then you're not ready to lead, you know, because that's leaders put a bullseye on their back. How many of you school leaders? How many of you administrators? So when you call yourself administrator, you're going to be attacked and you're going to be talked about. So I was just talking about that. I hadn't even jumped into the spill of, of the biases or anything like that, but I was walking down the aisle. And I had a suit on. I was speaking to 2,000 administrators, and the lady clutched her purse as I was walking down the aisle. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am, the national speaker <laughs> that they flew in to do this event, and she's clutching her purse. I guess, what do you think? I'm going to walk down the aisle and snatch your purse and run? So um, I think those biases have to be addressed. And I didn't say anything at the time, but she came up to me afterwards and apologized. And I said, there's no need to apologize. That's who you are. And that's how you felt. Just tell me why. And she started breaking down why she reacted that way. She said, guy, your size had attacked me at one time. And she started talking about how her perception became her reality. So you think I'm going to walk down the aisle in front of all these people and snatch your purse? I said, even when I couldn't rub two pennies together, I didn't steal from anybody. And I said, just because one person did something to you, it shouldn't have to, uh, the whole race shouldn't be affected by it. And I think that's what happens uh, quite often. So sometimes, you know, according to Good and Brophy, educators form expectations for individual student learning based primarily upon their own perception. And perception becomes reality. And that's when we have all the biases that take place, not only with kids, but amongst educators. How can we tell kids to behave and do what they're supposed to do and get along and we can't get along with each other? So I think that um, when I was talking about the mindset, um, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are as an individual person. Then you have to know who you are as an educator. You have to know um, that the two biggest mistakes that educators make is showing anger and using sarcasm and your biases. You know, so that's why I wanted to really dig into who am I? Well, I'm a man of God first. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a coach. I'm a mentor. I'm a speaker. I'm an author. And then I want educators to write, write down some things that describe who you are. Because if you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you open yourself up to be attacked by society and by many other things. So that's what I wanted to point out with the mindset. It's powerful, Robert, and there's so much that I would love to dig into there. Man, we need an hour to talk, man. I'll, I'll tell you. you in 30 minutes. Even when you <laughs> said you uh, walked your son on how to, how to really um, go through when he started to drive, and if he does get stopped by, I, I heard a really uh, powerful interview from Tim Ferriss on Coach George Raveling and him describing something very similar that was really eye-opening uh, for me and so forth. I do want to dig into bias and sarcasm a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. The, and I think people often confuse this. Bias is very often unintentional. And we teach this as educators, like in assessment. When you review your assessment, review it for bias, for language that kids may not know. 
But when it comes to discussing things around race, it becomes very uncomfortable. Yep. Even if it is unintentional, it becomes very uncomfortable. Um, so that's, I would love for you to, to talk more about bias and us having the courage to get to know ourselves better. Um, and honestly, I just got to touch on a sarcasm. If we could get rid of sarcasm altogether, we would just be better off. When we talk about <laughs> microaggressions and things of that nature, it's so, I've, I've just discovered how people cloak their microaggression or their disrespect for someone through sarcasm and then want to call it humor. Right. Kills me. It, well, you know, people do things based off of who they are, whether it's good or bad. And I think there do need, there needs to be more conversations around this because racial microaggressions are the everyday insults and demeaning messages sent by people, like you said, who are unaware of the messages they're sending. I've had people say to me like, uh, you speak good English. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't speak Ebonics? Uh, somebody looked at me and said, when I see you, I don't see color. I said, well, you must be colorblind because I see color every morning. Don't you see color when you see me? <laughs> I say, I'm a black man and I'm proud of that. <laughs> when, I, when I see you, I don't see color. I don't understand that. Um, you're different than them. Who is them? So I think sometimes we make statements. Um, I got plenty of white friends. I got plenty of black friends. I got plenty of Mexican friends. Why can't you say I got plenty of friends? So we need to define uh, what racism is. This systemic oppression uh, of a racial group or social, uh, economic, and political advantage. Um, so in order to have a racist system, it's systemic. That means it's built into the system. So that means you got to have some money. You have to have some influence. You can go out here and talk about folks all you want. But when you start making people go to separate restrooms or you can't come in a restaurant because of this, that's when it becomes systemic. Um, the racism part of it. Biases, everybody has them. Raise your hand if you got some biases. Be honest. Everybody has them. You know what I mean? The, the point I'm trying to make in the book is we all have biases. Diversity is acceptance and respect for everybody. No matter what your ethnicity is, uh, your sex orientation, it really don't matter. It's about the two key words in diversity is acceptance and respect. And when it comes to biases, we have to be able to sit down across from each other and have a cordial conversation where you may say, well, you know, I grew up and my father didn't like black people and all that. I respect that because we having a conversation and I'm going to listen to your conversation and I'm going to accept and respect what you have to say. And then I'm going to turn around and tell you, well, my grandmother didn't like white people. She grew up in Mississippi and, and she was born in 1930. And in 1947, she saw her brother get lynched in Mississippi when she was a teenager. In, in 1951, she saw another one of her brothers get killed in the Mississippi River. So what is her perception? Her perception became her reality. And then you fast forward to 1991, I'm at Western Kentucky University and I'm in college and Joey Johnson, who's from Nashville, Tennessee, he doesn't look anything like me. And he wants to come home to Indianapolis where I'm from in the inner city. And I said, Joey, I live in the hood. And Joey said, what's the hood? What is that? I said, that's the very reason you don't need to come here because you don't even know what the hood is. <laughs> so anyway, Joey insisted on coming to Indianapolis. And when he came to Indianapolis, um, when he walked in the door, he went to my room and my grandma said, who's that white boy in, 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 in your uh, bedroom? I said, that's my friend, Joey Johnson, my teammate. I said, he going to stay here. And then I took about, about 10 steps back because I told you it was my grandmother. And she had a, a way of reaching out and touching you before you know you got touched. So my point is, is that everybody has biases. My grandmother, she passed away 10 years ago. She never apologized for how she acted and what she said. But what she did tell me when I graduated in the mid 90s and me and Joey, we majored in industrial technology and we took a picture. It's funny because he just called me the other day because we were supposed to have dinner in about a week. But when he um, we took the picture, and my grandmother said, you know, what? <clears throat> she said, you know what? Times are changing. You know. You're, you were right. You know, I need to get myself together. I can't keep living in the past. She never apologized, but she apologized. Does that make sense? And we have to be able to challenge not only our own biases, but we have to challenge the biases of our loved ones, of our spouses, of our children, of our family, of what we see in the news. And what I wanted to point out in the book, here we are on this, on, it's about 22 of us on here, and we having this conversation, but 
it needs to be a two-sided conversation. I need to hear from you. You know, if we were in a professional development, what are your biases? Why do you feel this way? Why, you know, so we can ask each other questions and we can get a better understanding. That's how we move forward. That's an awesome story about your grandmother and about friendship and also about growth over time, both for the self and society. Um, it, it, it leads us toward hope for the future, really that, that hope that we can have for a future. Um, very granular. I want to, but it's also about, again, responsibility. And everybody right. on this call and everybody who's going to listen to this podcast has a deep responsibility to help with the future. Specific again, back to the subtitle, you mentioned strategies for supporting male, black, and Latino students. I wonder if just for us, very practical, you could give us a strategy or two that the people on this call could implement in schools right away. Well, I think um, one of the biggest strategies that you can implement right away is having a conversation and just having a better understanding of young men and how young men think. Now, I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm talking about how most men and young men think. For instance, um, ever since I was a kid, I heard, you know, don't cry, man up, uh, be tough, don't show emotion, uh, don't show weakness, don't be a punk. So I never knew my biological father. So if I'm hearing this growing up and I have a teacher, I see Kaylin on here and Kathleen and uh, Marina and I see Stephanie. So when I get into your presence, how am I acting? Can anybody tell me how am I acting? What do you think I'm acting? I want you to turn your mics on. Tell me, how am I acting when I come into your presence? I've been told to don't cry, man up, be tough, don't show emotion. Probably tough. You're acting tough. You're acting hard is what yeah. the kids would say, right? Act You're defensive, acting tough, acting hard. But I want you to understand this is what I've been taught. I've been taught this since I was a kid. So... If I've been taught this since I was a kid, I'm coming in with hard skills. I'm coming in with anger. I'm coming in with rage. Sometimes I'm disappointed. Sometimes I'm in a neglectful situation. Sometimes I'm feeling hopeless. Sometimes I, I, I may be coming from an abusive situation and I may be acting out because of that. What did you do personally for me to come in with those hard skills? Nothing. So if you didn't do nothing, then why do we take it personal when kids coming in angry? and they're enraged and they're disappointed. So the strategy that I tell educators, instead of countering that with more hard skills, we have to counter hard skills with soft skills. So if I'm coming in angry, I want you to teach me problem solving. If I'm coming in enraged, I want you to teach me about respect because obvious that nobody's really taught me the, um, what, what respect is. Uh, if I'm coming in disappointed, I want you to teach me about honesty. I've been lied to a lot. If I'm coming in from a neglectful situation, teach me how to communicate better. If I'm coming in from a hopeless situation, teach me about trust. I don't trust a lot of people. I want you to counter those hard skills with soft skills. If I'm coming in from an abusive situation, show me some, show empathy. I didn't say feel sorry for me because when you feel sorry for me, you lower your expectations. I talk to educators all the time. I said, just because a kid is coming through a hard time, that don't mean you lower your expectations because you're hurting that kid more than you're helping them. You have to set high expectations, but more importantly, you have to expect me to do well. So we got to start countering hard skills with soft skills. It's the number one strategy I teach to administrators and teachers. Robert, let's continue down this student path. If you were going to approve the student experience in every school, you, if you could do this, what would you want to see done? Well, I would like to see what I did this morning. I had a group of students from uh, Houston, Texas on this morning from Connections Academy. And I just asked them, well, you know, I, I talked to them for about 20, 25 minutes, giving them strategies on how to be successful, um, how to deal with anxiety and mental illness and, and how to overcome obstacles. But then I shut up and I let them talk. What would you like to see from us? I think that as educators, and many of us have been doing this for, if you've been doing this for any number of years, you've seen the changes through the years. Kids are dealing with a different circumstance than what we dealt with. We have kids who are going to school in the midst of a pandemic. You know, that was unheard of when I was in school. I was great to go to the frat party. You know, we was hanging out, having a good time. We don't understand what these kids are dealing with 
uh, some of them at home, there's a new pandemic um, with the, um, you know, sexual uh, violence, the uh, uh, home, you know, all this stuff is going up, all the abuse, and it's not being reported because kids are at home now. And we need to make sure that we're hearing the kids' voice. And I think all schools are lacking this. Pull a group of kids together, uh, whether it's a Zoom call like this, and just let them talk. What do you need from us? Because I did this this morning. And you know what the kids were saying? Uh, we need educators to listen. We need educators to come on here and stop being so rigid and have fun. It's all about the schoolwork. Nobody asked me how I was doing today or what I ate last night. You know, this is what kids are telling me today. I need them to ask me, how was my day? How was my night? How, how, how am I doing with this pandemic? Or how am I doing in school? You know, and, and we have to hear the student's voice because if we can't hear the student's voice, how do we know how to help them? Oh, we're going to help them based off what we think they need. And that's what a lot of school systems do. And that's where we fail. Because when I started school back in the days, like some of you, how many of you remember having four channels? Anybody remember that? Raise your hand, please. That means you old school like me, right? So how many of you remember the Star Spangled Banner playing before the TV went off? Anybody remember that? That means you old school too. Now kids got TVs that play all night, right? We're dealing with different kids. You know, these kids are not going out to play. They're playing video games. So we have to be able to approach them in a different way. And we have to know how our kids are wired. And um, we need to make sure that we're asking those questions. And then we build an infrastructure based off of their needs and our needs incorporated in their needs, if that makes sense. No, it's great. It makes total sense. And I think it's a, it's a very candid quote, shut up and let them talk. We need to give them agency and a, a heck of a sight more talk time. Well, you can't talk and listen at the same time. So try it. It doesn't work. So um, many times as, as leaders, as parents, and many of you raise your hands and say your parents, um, what is the number one stress for students? Anybody know? What's, what's, the key, what's your student's number one stress? Answering questions. Parents. <laughs> Who said parents? Their parents. <laughs> Who said that? I did. <laughs> okay, Ms. Rhonda. Actually, parents is number two. <laughs> the number one stress for kids is school and peer pressure. Mm. The number one stress for school for kids is school and peer pressure. The number two stress for kids is parents, because parents are stressing kids out. The number three stress is friends. The number four is sibling rivalries. Then you have the relationships. And then you have drug and alcohol abuse. Those are the top six stresses for students. What's the number one stress for parents? Money. The number two stress for parents is clutter. The number three stress is meal preparation. Number four is getting kids ready for bed. You see the difference? There's a different stress level that parents have and that students have. And I think even as educators, we have to understand the top stresses for educators, the top stresses for parents, the top stresses for students. How can we bring that infrastructure together to help, to help each other uh, get to the goal where we're trying to get to? How can we help each other? But we have to understand each other. Kids are stressed out about school. And if kids are stressed out about school, what can we do to help them feel more comfortable? So dealing with their stresses, it's um, you mentioned research before. I mean, you rattled right off the research and then just there, the stressors, you knew the top stressors. You know what folks really like is a resource or two. What is there a go-to resource that you would say for this category or any category of leadership for the folks on the call and the listeners that you would say, look, this is something I give away all the time. Check it out. Well, I, I have a guide that I put together based on a book. It's a study guide. Um, I, I have it in four sections. Uh, I have one. Uh, um, it's, you can download this when you get the book, by the way, for free. And the reason why I put the study guide together, it's cool to write a book, and, and that's great. And it has some great chapters and great information. But you need some study topics that you can have at the end uh, with your staff, um, study topics you can have with um, you know, paraprofessionals, and it has a, a section on cultural awareness and understanding the realities of what our young men deal with, and it has four questions to ask yourself there, and I can send you a copy of this, uh, cultural awareness, teaching practices, um, core beliefs and mindsets of a culturally responsive administrator or teacher, and then it has building strong relationships with students and staff, 
And I put that resource together just so I can, everywhere I go speak, I give this away. I say, keep this guide with you. If you don't have anything, you can ask questions here, but it goes along with the um, book that you're referencing as well. And that's one resource. And um, there are some other resources out there um, that, you know, I really dig into. And, um, you know, I have a, a whole list of titles that are my go-tos and I can send you a list of that so you can give it to your, um, to your audience as well. That would be terrific. And everybody loves having those resources. Robert, you've spent a lot of time in education. You're, you're making a difference. Um, you're obviously very energetic, uh, motivational, um, backed with, you know, research, which is critical. What's for you to make make yourself feel like you're really making some headway that you're making an impact um what's the next three to five years look like for you and what would you like to see done well you know i'm really trying to uh figure that out i am one person uh, i'm trying to build a staff and i have brought on at least five to ten uh speakers that i'm training to do what i do because i am one person and uh being in high demand is tough um, I built a, um, you know, I, I started another uh, business um, doing virtual uh, presentations for educators every month. It's called Vibe, the Virtual Institute Building Educators. So if you go to www.vibe-pd for professionaldevelopment.com, you can sign up and subscribe every month. And I do different presentations every month on different subjects. We just talked about implicit bias since we're talking about that. That was one of our subjects we just covered last month. Uh, this past month, we covered cultural diversity. Uh, next month, we're talking about how do you work with kids who've experienced trauma. So I figured out how I can reach more people um, instead of being stretched so much. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm enjoying being home. Uh, I don't miss airports. I don't miss hotel rooms, but I do miss being around you guys. I would rather be with you in person. I wish I could just snap and be in front of you and then snap and be back at home, but it don't work that way find myself on airplanes five days a week and that's not nice. I don't think my wife and kids like that a whole lot, but um, this work is necessary. And that's why I, um, and we have a lot of subscribers. We had a whole school district signed up for uh, the vibe series because they understand that I can't be everywhere at once, but this way you can, you know, for as low as $25 a month, you can get a PD every month for administrators, for teachers, um, for, for assistants and staff. And uh, so the next three to five years, I'm trying to continue to build out that infrastructure. I'm trying to continue to train other educators to do what I do. Um, I plan on writing more books. I have a new book coming out in January for Mothers Raising Sons. Uh, that'll be book number seven. And we're going to keep on uh, producing products that work, uh, products that are helping educators, parents, students move forward. So we're going to continue to uh, brainstorm and and, and, and reach high and continue to try to uh, build this thing out. Robert, thank you for sharing that. And um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll link back to that so that folks here can, can get that link and sign up for that PD as well. Um, sounds like a great resource. And again, we truly appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you would like to add as we wrap up? Um. No, I just wanted to open it up for questions. I know you're on a time uh, sensitive, but I know the audience has been listening uh, attentively, but um, if they wanted to ask any questions, I want to see if you had time for that. Um, if you look in the chat, I gave you my email address. I gave you uh, both websites. Uh, so you can come and check out the Vibe series. Sign, you can sign up, sign your staff up, and you get a uh, professional development every month. It's usually about 90 minutes. And um, I also interview the person that's speaking for the month. Um, it's pretty neat. Uh, some months you may get me, some months you may get somebody else, but it's going to be a um, uh, somebody who has a high intelligence, somebody who is uh, very uh, gifted, very knowledgeable about the subject and enthusiastic about it. So um, if you look in the chat, you have all my uh, information and um, I can put my social media handles on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not hard to find. Well, thank you again, Robert. This has been fantastic. Uh, you heard it here first, folks, on Focus Ed, Robert Jackson, everyone. How about a virtual round of applause for our guest this time? Don't Thank forget you. to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and much more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, 
stay focused. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest, self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell. How do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghost Bed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at-home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghost Bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow, that's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral if you get somebody else a good night's sleep. Better sleep for you, better leadership. Ghostbed.com, you can't beat it. Ghostbed.com. Robert, if you're interested in staying around for a couple of questions, we'd love to let the the audience here ask. Um, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to open up a random question until the podcast wrapped up, but now if people want to ask a question and you have the time, we also want to be able to honor your time and let you go if, if you need to. I got about 10 more minutes. So um, if you want to ask, because the other event was canceled, so I have a few minutes. And I'll tell you what, we would have been fine with that first 25. You power packed it all the way into, I was looking at that 25th minute. I was like, this would have been great. Uh, so thanks for the extra time. Marina looks like she's raised her hand. That's funny. The hands going up and then the hands clapping. I seen Tamara, she didn't clap, but her hands went up there and clap. That's, that's beautiful. Go ahead. Uh, Miss, um, is it Miss Laws? Rhonda Laws? Uh, it's Marina Pini, I think has a question. I think Rhonda was doing the clapping. Okay. Got you. Thank you. Marina. Hi. Um, I have your book. It's, um, I read it. I tried to read a couple chapters prior to today and it's, it made me sad to hear the stories, the individual stories. Um, I work at Howard and I am the co-op coordinator. So what I try to do is I help our seniors, um, with ideas about related work to their career areas, career pathways and things like that. Um, the biggest, my first 
um, experience with racism and bias um, was when I got this job. And um, I would try to beat the streets and get jobs and opportunities and partnerships for our students. But I noticed a lot of them when they heard where I was from and who I was, I didn't get calls back. And I didn't want to think why that was the reason racism and bias, bias, but it is. And the only reason I know that is because the second year when I was unsuccessful getting indoors, where I knew that um, I made a connection, but at the end, it was just nothing. I never got a call back and I knew. So the following year, um, when I made these calls and tried to get these people to help us out, um, I used a different name and I saw a huge difference. Instead of saying Howard High School of Technology, I would say, I'm from Newcastle County Votech. And then the doors opened and I could get possibilities and partnerships and, and resources. But I was kind of shocked because being from Delaware, I really never thought it existed in Delaware. And I know that sounds stupid to say. No, it doesn't. But I was shocked. But it, it's hard to believe that these things happen. And because it didn't happen to me, I was ignorant to the facts. And now I'm kind of, since this past summer, it's, it's, it's shameful, but I think the more we learn, the more we can combat this. That's right. I agree with you, uh, Marina. Um, first of all, it's not stupid. Um, you just experience what a lot of people experience and don't talk about. Um, didn't mean to make you sad in the book, but I <laughs> wanted to uh, point out some true stories. And because we hear about these things on the news, but um, it doesn't resonate still with a lot of people because it's invisible. It's not happening in my world, so it's no interest to me. I don't have to have these conversations. I don't have people treating me like that, so I'm not even going to address it. Or I'm not going to listen to you address it. Um, but when kids are being hurt in the process, because children who have been forced to deal with adult issues later become adults to wrestle with children issues. You know what I mean? So we have to make sure that we're addressing these issues or we're going to have a bunch of damaged adults who are working with kids. And I've watched damaged adults work with kids. If I'm a, um, you know, I'm a student, I'm coming in on fire. You got two choices. You can pour gasoline on me or you can pour water on me. And I've seen educators pour gasoline on kids who are already on fire. So those experiences that you had, um, it's not uh, something that's out of the, out of the norm. Um, I deal with that every day. Um, I walk into a place and the whole atmosphere changed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if I'm dressed up, and, you know, and it's sad, sadly, I had to get used to uh, doing that and adjust, adjusting my voice or making eye contact or doing certain things to let people know I'm not threatening, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's sad that we have to continue to do that. But if you're a person who can't control your emotions and you don't know how to decipher between the two, how do you, how do you get past that? So so how did you remedy that situation when you finally got in the door? Did you tell them the truth? Uh, yes, because they, they realized that it didn't make a difference. And it was something that was on them, not on us. And once they received the student and by the end of the conversation, I kind of sealed the deal and they couldn't backwalk. It was too late. And, um, and it was successful, but I had to I was shocked, but I had to change the way I worked because of bias. And I knew that's what it was. I knew in the beginning, I didn't want to think it was true, but it was true. Yeah. And people think when they see something on the news, that it's true. And that's not necessarily true. It can be a big lie. But if yeah. it's on the news, perception become reality. Um, you look at the news and you would think that, you know, 98% of black men are committing violent crimes. Well, in reality, if you look at the research and the numbers, 2% of black men are committing violent crimes. <laughs> The other 98% are trying to get home. But, you know, the media would twist that. Um, all black men are not criminals. All white people aren't rich. You know, so those, those are myths, myths that we need to dispel. And we need to have more conversations around bias so we don't have these biases toward each other because kids can see. They see when we have biases toward each other and then we're trying to get around them and be a certain way. So, no, you're not getting along with such and such. And I think if we would sit down and have more conversations, uh, let me ask you one last question. How many of you got somebody ignorant in your family? Raise your hand. You got some ignorance in your family. Raise your hand so I can see them. There you go. I'm looking at all you. Everybody got their hand up. 
and everybody all kind of different colors in here. So ignorance don't have a color either. No. When I say how many you got somebody ignorant in your family, somebody thought of that person real quick, didn't you? <laughs> names. Because we filming this. No, I'm just joking. But what I'm saying, ignorance don't have a color. And we can't put uh, labels on certain groups of people, whether they black, white, Hispanic, whatever, just because of some myths of a few. Thank you. So thank you for sharing that, Miss Marina. Thank you. Robert, we want to be respectful of your time. Um, I see other hands, but you said you had 10 minutes. I don't want to on, keep, man, keep you. Rolling, man. I'll take two more. Come on, Kathleen, what you got? So you talked earlier about stressors for students and stressors for parents. So um, I'm sure you have a long laundry list of stressors for teachers, but given the times that we're in now, have you seen any trends um, with stressors for teachers that you could talk about that are specific to this particular time? With oh, absolutely. Teachers are stressed out. You know, um, you know, teach, I mean, the, the different stresses, it used to be the performance appraisals and, um, you know, the classroom management. And now it's technology. A lot of educators are stressed out about technology. They're stressed out about um, how to do their lessons and and, you know, when you're so flustered and frustrated about the technology, it comes across. It comes out when you're interacting with other people. So um, my, my presentations with them have been more uh, inspirational in ways that we can deal with our own anxieties and more self-care. Because that secondary traumatic stress is real. And when you're seeing, when educators get stressed out, we're human beings too. Um, when I was in my second year teaching, I had to bury a student. You know, one of my one of my favorite students making good grades, hanging out with his friends at a party. And he got stabbed 15 years old. You know, what I mean, there's so many different stressors. You have educators who are scared to death about COVID. You have educators who want to come back to school. Some of them want to stay home. You know, we have uh, parents want kids to go back to school. Some parents say they don't want the kids to go back to school. So everybody's divided. So it's really important to uh, deal with that anxiety piece and the self-care piece. Where I tell them five things every educator should do every day. Uh, number one is, um, you know, eat right. You know, number two is meditate. Number three is pray. <laughs> you know, you got, to, you got to eat right, you got to meditate, you got to pray, you got to exercise, and you got to get some rest. Those are five steps to everybody who's listening to me right now. You should do that daily. You should eat right, exercise, meditate, pray, and get some rest. Sometimes you need to turn your computers off and turn your brains off and just relax. Am I talking to anybody today? Who needs to do that? Okay, I see some hands going up. So that means you need to stop. Always got to be doing something. You that person always moving around. Got to be, I got to get this done. No, you, what you need to do is go sit down. And you find, you find out if you sit down long enough, you may fall asleep <laughs> because you just stop moving. So I've been really talking to educators about uh, self-care, Kathleen, and really doing a good job of taking care of yourself. Because if I take better care of myself, I'm gonna be better for my students. I'm gonna be better for my teachers. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a better husband. I'm gonna be a better father. I'm gonna be a better everything. So how many of you need to do a better job of taking care of yourself? Raise your hand. So we'll see where you are. All right, let's start doing that every day. So those are some of the things I'm talking to teachers about these days. Thank you. Can I ask a question? Yeah, Christine, go ahead. Ms. Okay. Christine, what you got? Okay, my question is this. I'm a career teacher. I teach legal uh, students at Howard High School uh, that Marina was just talking about. And I have um, African-American males that are in my class. And just yesterday, I had one of my male students uh, say, can I stay after we're on a um, team's call? after on a virtual and he was expressing the fact that he felt depressed and that he was frustrated. And if I'm in the classroom, it's a little bit different, but being that there's a distance and a virtual and remote learning, um, and even in the classroom, sometimes, uh, you, know, you know, dealing with this population of young men, um, they struggle, they're very, very bright, but then they struggle. And so, um, it's not enough for me to just encourage. It's not enough to have positive affirmations before we even start our class to try to find something positive. Um, many of them are uh, fending for themselves. Many of them are dealing with a lot of things that have nothing to do with school, but yet it does have to do with school. So 
I'm asking for you uh, as an African-American adult man, what is it that us as teachers can do to help these young men, specifically the minority African-American young men, um, what more can we do to help uplift them, encourage them, and give them and keep them on a path to um, success? Thank you, Christine. I think that's a great question. Um, the biggest thing that I can tell you in the short answer is um, these young men just want to be heard. And sometimes as a man, when you've been um, taught to not show emotion, they want to they want to know that it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to talk about these things. There are six core values, and I talk about them in the book to educate students. Number one is love. Number two is trust. Try to remember then fairness support, accountability, and safety. So you have love, you got trust, you got fairness, you got support, you got accountability and safety. And I'm gonna tell you like this, it's not hard, I mean, it's not easy, I'm sorry, it's not easy to do overnight. Trust has to be built over time. Every now and then you meet somebody and say, well, I met my husband one day and we got married next week. Most of us dated, most of us went through the seasons. Did anybody go through the seasons with your spouse? You want to make sure everything was good. And then you find out 25 years later, things are still not good, but that's a whole nother story. But in order to educate, <laughs> activate and motivate kids to be great, you got to understand those six core values. If you show love, you're going to receive it back. If you, if you show trust, then you're going to get trust back. If you be fair, then you're going to get fairness back. If you show support, they're going to open up to you. If you are accountable for your actions, good or bad, and I made many mistakes as an educator. I wasn't perfect. And one time I was teaching algebra and I taught the lesson wrong. Anybody ever done that? Taught the lesson wrong? <laughs> Kid came up to me afterwards. He said, Mr. Jackson, you know you taught that wrong. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, well, you were so enthusiastic about it. I didn't want to bust your bubble in front of all the kids. So I had to get up the next day in front of my students. I said, listen, um, I taught this wrong. And, and I said, such and such over there, you know, he pointed out to me that I taught it wrong and and I called to him and he got teared up. He got really emotional about it. And then I asked him to stay after class. And I said, why are you crying? He said, I never had anybody affirm me before. You know what I mean? You find out a lot about kids when you show love and trust and fairness and support when you're accountable for your actions because he felt safe enough to open up. And guess what he does today? He teaches algebra. <laughs> so, you know, we have to make sure that we giving our kids that opportunity, whether they black, green, or whatever, it don't matter. Giving them the opportunity to make sure you keep those six core values in your brain. Love, trust, fairness, support, accountability, and safety. If you do that, you're doing, you're doing about 90% of the work. Thank you. I think that's a great place to end, um, Robert, and, and that was <laughs> phenomenal. And Christine, thanks for asking that last question and all the questions and all the time that you generously gave us four questions today. That's not typical. And again, we really appreciate it. Um, we can let you go or you can stay to see the faces when Michael gives away the books. Michael, you ready to give away some books? Yeah, I'll stay on. Yeah, I want to check it out. I am. <laughs> hey, I'm already over my time. So let me go ahead and just hang out. <laughs>